Dr. Henry, tell us what is on the table today. All right, on the table again, we have another Sabbath lunch spread on the table today. <laughs> and you know, as we are coming out of this pandemic, churches are opening up now, uh, as far as the buildings are opening up and uh, ministry is different. You know, we, we, we said this at the very beginning when we started uh, the pastor's round table that we have to think differently, ministry mm -hmm. is different. And so we wanna know about the next generation of pastors. We, we say the next generation of pastors, but even the pastors now, you know, what kind of pastors are needed for this time? That's really mm -hmm. at the table. What kind of pastors are needed for this time so that we can propel the mission forward? Yes, yes, yes. Awesome, awesome. I'm looking forward to the, this discussion. And and I know you probably, we, we would actually have uh, uh, another one of our hosts share what, who's at the table today. Well, I am just so pleased to have with us today um, a good friend of mine. He, uh, colleague, we served together in the same union. He then became our union youth director. And then he was tapped because of the insight and the way he does ministry. I am so excited to have with us today, Pastor Jose Cortez Jr., who is the Associate hey. Director for the North American Division Ministerial Association. Doc, Doc, so glad to have you with us today. Man, it's so good to be with you guys, and, and uh, thank you for, for the invitation, and I'm looking forward to having an awesome conversation together. Roger, it's really good to see you, man. You look better, brother. I don't know what South Central is doing to you, but but you look you're looking better, man, than when you were out there in the Atlantic Union and and then the Mid America Union. You're looking better now, man. South Central is it, something in the water, the air. What's going on, man? You're looking good. And Dion, Dion hasn't changed since we went to school together. Dion hasn't changed, man. Look at you guys. I'm getting old here, and you guys are getting younger. Have mercy. <laughs> hey, I don't see any gray in your hair, but no, no, we won't go down that road. We won't go down that road. <laughs> watch it, watch it. <laughs> oh, Dr. Cortez, we are so glad to have you with us. Listen, we did not do uh, you any justice in terms of how we introduced you. We want to give you an opportunity to share something. You can give a shout out. You can whatever you want. We'll give you 40 seconds since you're the since you are the guest today 40 seconds to introduce yourself or shout out to someone who is listening who could be listening go right ahead 40 seconds all right listen i'm the husband of my wife joan cortez she is a pastor so you know that in our home we're all in with women in ministry all right so uh -huh. she's a pastor and she's also a church planter so you know that in our home we're all in in church okay. planting so uh, that makes me a ministerial spouse right now. I've been a pastor all of my life. Now I'm a ministerial spouse. Not only ministerial, but ministerial spouse. My my wife is planting a church in Washington D.C. So uh, I'm 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 being very supportive. And during the pandemic, I've been able to be home. So I've been very supportive of her. I have two kids, and uh, they are teenagers. I thought mm -hmm. I was a great dad till I till they became teenagers and we hit the pandemic okay I thought I was the best dad ever and then I realized that I, I need lots of prayers everybody lots of prayers you know pastors need prayers too so that's right. uh, that's that's those are my biggest achievements in life husband and 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 past and and, and dad and then also uh, North American Division, I enjoy what I do, uh, leading out in evangelism for the Ministry Association, church planting, uh, global mission, mission to the cities, all that kind of good stuff, okay? Uh, and 
And most recently, we've added the Next Gen Pastor Initiative, which is something mm. that I, I think we're going to be talking about today. So that's it, man. Yes. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Doc, so glad to have you with us. Doc Henry, let's let's get started. Uh, lead us in prayer and then we will uh, get started right away. All right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's ask God's blessings to be in this place. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, for this tremendous opportunity so that we can talk about ministry, having Pastor Cortez, Lord, with just his experience, his breadth of knowledge there, God. We thank you for him. We ask God that we'll have an engaging conversation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Wow. Doc Jose, uh, listen, we uh, we have had a lot of conversation over the years as we had um, ministered together. Um, you were involved in training uh, youth and young adults in preparing them for ministry. Um, one of the initiatives that came out of the Greater New York Conference where you served as youth director um, was these AYM classes, these Advantage Youth Ministries classes where they could have learned to preach. I know over in the Northeastern side where we were, um, we talked about Young Preachers Institute and, and the same thing right. happened there in the Greater New York Conference. But listen, now that uh, you have, you I don't want to say ascended, um, you have been tapped. No. Let me put it that way. You've been tapped to serve at the North American Division in the Ministerial Department, uh, looking at how we foster uh, and, and, and resource and, and, and recruit pastors. That, I think, is along the lines of what your department does. I know you have a particular role there. But what, what critical roles do you expect to see in this new generation of leaders? Prior to the pandemic, everything was hunkadori. All of a sudden now, <laughs> we, have, we have paused and we have to rethink what kind of what kind of generation we want as leaders in this year? What what are some of the critical roles are you seeing pastors have to transition or maybe they're not transitioning to? Well, um, I, I want to say this: uh, the pandemic was very revealing, uh, you know, because you had churches that went to the next level, and you have churches that that de descended to the to the previous level, or, or perhaps to, to several levels uh, below what they used to be. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with leadership, and it had to do with the abilities of the pastor to be flexible. So I think that as we go uh, into, into a new chapter here in North America, a post-pandemic chapter in North America, we're needing pastors that, are, number one, um, are flexible. Mm. Okay, uh, and, and agile. Uh, I, I think probably uh, uh, the agility probably will be the name of the game uh, when it comes to ministry for the for the years to come. And of course, you know, we need pastors who pray. We need pastors who are spiritual. We need pastors who read their Bibles and who are, uh, have communion with God. That is kind of a given. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. why I didn't begin with those. But but right now, after we move from the pan pandemic, I think agility in ministry is one of the greatest things that we need in ministry. People who are able to adapt, people who are able to make changes quick, 
because at times if we don't make a change quick, uh, we may be left behind and we may be eaten by the competition. You know, we're uh, we're not trying to compete. We're trying to to win people for the uh, for the for the kingdom, but but there are lots of other people out there who are trying to win people for the kingdom as well. Am I making myself clear? So so we want to make sure that all of our local churches are able to thrive. And if our local churches are going to be able to thrive, we're going to have to need leadership that is able to be flexible, to look at the times, uh, to, to, to make changes, to adjust in order to be able to, to do this. And I remember, I remember as we began the pandemic, uh, uh, some of us right away went online. Uh, some of us went online right away. You guys went online. I went online. Uh, there were uh, thousands of pastors in North America who went online, and I remember uh, one day going through my through my feed and looking at uh, at my colleagues uh, to see what my colleagues were doing all across North America. I like to do that when I have a little time on Sabbath afternoons to to go and see what everybody's doing. Uh, people who are getting baptized. That's how you see pastors baptizing. That's how you see some great uh, sermons. You get some great quotes, you know, Sabbath afternoon when I have time. And and I went on and I saw this pastor. He was, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a, a veteran. He's one of our veterans in North America. And I saw him preaching and he was preaching upside down, ha, upside down. Like <laughs> he was like, like, you know, when Peter was crucified with the mm-hmm. head down and the feet up, he was just like Peter, man, just that he was preaching rather than being crucified, you know? So I, it kind of got my attention, you know, and, and the following Sabbath, I went back to check on him <laughs> and he was preaching, he was preaching upside up. He was no longer mm. preaching upside down, you know, and and I said I said to myself, listen, you know, a, a lot of guys were laughing at my colleague, at my be- veteran, because he was preaching upside down like Peter. But guess what? Uh, the fact is that he was online, even though perhaps he's past his seventies, he was online. Uh, he was trying to do something, and I think that's very important, trying to do something. And and then the next day, next time he preached, he was right. He was preaching upside up. So I asked him, I said, what happened? What changed? And he said, well, I went to some of the young people from my church and they told me how to do it. So now I'm going to be doing it right. I'm going to be working together with them. So, so you know, he took a week to adapt, but he adapted. Okay. Mm. So, and he continued throughout the pandemic. So we need agility. I believe agility is one of the great things that need to happen. Vision. I think vision is a great thing as well. Vision is the ability to see what's going to happen before it happens. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so uh, uh, we need we need visionary pastors. Something else that is really important: we need pastors who are resilient. Okay, mm-hmm. and and that's one of our concerns in the ministerial association. Is one of our concern with younger generations that that um, I'm not, I'm not, not going to say that the younger generations are not they don't seem to be as resilient as some of the older generations, but but they don't seem to want to take it. You know, a lot of us have taken a lot of, uh, a lot of hits and a lot of, uh, I, I'm trying not to say abuse, but yeah, well, some of us have taken some abuse, you know, and, and from our members and from our uh, leadership sometimes. And we, uh, we have a difficult time. Why are you guys laughing like that? Can you <laughs> say it, say it's abuse. We've been taking abuse, preacher. <laughs> okay. Uh, it hasn't been, listen, listen to me. Many, I would not do any other thing. Okay, I love what I do. I love ministry. Okay, so if you ask me again, what would you want to do? I would want to do ministry with everything, with the good and the bad. Uh, the good outweighs the bad. But, uh, you know, some of our younger generations don't seem to be willing to take that anymore. 
Okay, mm. so so we're needing we're needing pastors who are not only uh, agile, agile uh, who have agility, not only uh, visionary but uh, resilient people who are there for the long game. You know, mm. uh, not trying to get you to come to your church for two mo two years and and then get get tired and then try to go to the next church because the pulpit is a little bit bigger. How about making your pulpit bigger, right where you are? Grow your congregation rather than trying to look for that next uh, next next job in two years from now. So we need people who are able to stay uh, to stay the game, who are able to stay, uh, stay in power, if I could say. So those are some of the things that I think we're needing in, in the next generations. One very important thing, we need a next generation that is missional. Okay, um, I, I see, and I see this in North America with a lot of concern, uh, people talking about discipleship, and in the same breath, they talk against baptisms, okay? And, uh, and I say to myself, how can you disciple people that haven't been born? You know, in order to disciple somebody, you have to be born. For you to grow up, you have to be born. Baptism is the birth. Uh, discipleship is, is the, the, the mature, maturing uh, uh, time when you get ready so you are also able to multiply. So, so you know, uh, for some reason, we've stopped talking about growing. We've stopped talking about multiplying. And, and at times it seems that, that, that maintenance is the, is the name of the game nowadays, you know? So if you're good, you take a church with 50 members, and when you leave, you have 50, you're in good shape. Uh, you know, how about leaving that church with 100 rather than with 50, you know, when you leave? Mm. How about uh, making appeals on a regular basis? How about uh, planting a church? Once you have a strong church, planting a next church uh, that, that your ministry might multiply. So those are some of the things that I think we, 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 we need uh, in the next generation of pastors in North America. How about in the area of technology? Um, do we need pastors that are tech savvy? Is that what we're looking for now? Uh, because we're in a world where, I mean, you know, these tools are helping us to really promote the gospel. Well, agility, agility has everything to do with that. And that, I, I guess my mention to the, to the older pastor who, who went online the first uh, week uh, upside down, and then he was right. That, 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 I guess that was a reference to, to technology. Technology is very important. And I praise, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic has been real bad because lots of people have died. Lots of our loved ones have been sick and many have died. I think we all know someone who has passed away uh, during, during the pandemic. But um, if we could say anything about how has the pandemic blessed our church? Uh, prior to the pandemic, I remember we had people criticizing social media, uh, criticizing uh, pastors who spent uh, time in, uh, with technology. Uh, and if it hadn't been for technology, our church wouldn't be where we are today. Mm. Okay. Uh, I, we've, we've gone through the pandemic. Uh, people have heard the gospel. People have heard the gospel in a very special way uh, in, through very interesting means, uh, but the gospel has been shared even though we couldn't be physically together. We still have been together uh, virtually. And all of that is uh, grateful to pastors who are uh, technology, that, who are savvy when it comes to technology and who, who are not afraid of technology. And I don't think that after this pandemic, we're going to have people criticizing Facebook or criticizing YouTube or, or right. saying that the social media is of the devil. You know, uh, social media is neutral. 
Okay? Social media does what you do with it. So if you want it to be good, you got to do some good stuff with it. If you want it yeah. to be bad, you can do some bad stuff with it. And if you want it, want it to be irrelevant, don't do anything with it. And, and social media will be relevant, but you will be irrelevant if you don't do anything with it. Okay, so so definitely when I talked about agility and flexibility, that's part of the game, you know, making sure that, 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 that we are uh, technological savvy. And if we're not willing to invest in becoming technological savvy, we need to surround ourselves with younger generations of, of, of members, church members, young people who are able to do it for us. Okay, so and, and that's, that's it. Uh, however, one thing, though, I want to I make this very clear. Uh, as pastors, we are not called to spend all of the entire day in the computer, uh, you know, in technology, in social media. There's got to be a time when we go out there and touch some people for, for Jesus. Am I making myself clear? Yes. Ah, I think yeah. that's very important, you know. So, so now the pandemic, I'm vaccinated. I'm able to go out there and preach again. Okay, <laughs> I'm able to go out there and give Bible studies again. I'm able to go out there and begin baptizing people again. So, so uh, you know, now we need to do both. Okay. No, it's not time to stay in social media by itself anymore. I love it. I love it. So, so listen, I, I just want to. I just want to touch on something. Um, Prior to the pandemic, just before the pandemic, there was this major push or this big um, um, announcement that in a couple of years, we will actually be short pastors. There's going to be a shortage of pastors. And, 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 and at first, when I first heard it, I began to say, where that coming from? I mean, how could you be short pastors? I mean... You know, there are so many people that go into school to be a pastor and some of them don't get the call because there's no church to give to them. What what exactly is going on with that? Is there really a shortage of pastors? Let me tell you, let me tell you what's going on. Uh, and we, we've been doing some studies from the North American Division Ministerial Association. And I want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Ivan Williams and Dave Gemmel. Um, and we've been uh, looking at the age of pastors in North America. Uh, the pastoral force in North America right now is an aging pastoral force. And let me give you a few stats right here so, so you have an idea. When we announced, when we made that announcement uh, at the, at the Campuri, what that was 2019, was it? The, 2019, yes. The, and we rolled out the Next Gen Pastor Initiative for the North American Division. At that time, we had 750 pastors who were already at that moment, uh, at that time, 2019 Campuri, 750 pastors who were already uh, eligible for retirement at that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that everybody doesn't mean that everyone who is eligible for retirement is going to retire. And we have a, we have been experiencing uh, pastors who delayed their retirement, not because they want to continue to work, but in many cases, because their finances are not good enough to retire. And, and I want to uh, do a little parenthesis right here and talk to the younger pastors. Begin planning right now, right now, begin planning. If you just got out of seminary and you're in your first district, your first church, your first pastorate, begin to plan for your retirement now. Because you don't want to get to 65, 66, 67 uh, and don't have a house, uh, don't, have, uh, don't have funds to retire. And then having to work past the, your prime 
and, and having to deal with difficulty in ministry simply because you don't have money to retire. So this is a time to start investing in your retirement. So that's one of the reasons why a lot of the pastors are not uh, have not been retiring. But as of today, we have over a thousand pastors who are eligible for retirement in North America. Okay, um, which uh, and our, our prediction, our projection is that within the next ten years, actually nine years, within the nine, nine, next nine ten years, we will uh, have had uh, about twenty five hundred pastors. Uh, who, who will be within the next 10 years that will retire. Uh, that is uh, a little bit more than half our pastoral force in North America. If we count administrators, uh, departmental directors, uh, pastors at the local church, uh, in our local ch churches, we have close to 5,000 pastors in North America, okay? Uh, 2,500 pastors is 50% of our pastoral force. Uh, mm. uh, does, that, does that ring a bell? Does that... Does that uh, does that mm -hmm. sound an alarm somehow? And, and Roger and Dion, I'm going to say this. Uh, you know, uh, we have pastors out there who are pastoring still at 77 years of age, 78. Uh, perhaps a few in their 80s who are still pastoring full time in North America. Uh, but that's, 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 that's hard. And, and, and at some point, if there is no retirement, one day some of these guys are going to start dropping dead. Okay. And uh, so, uh, and, and that's not a good thing to say. It's not a, it's, but it's a reality. Uh, one of the first things that a leader needs to know is to, is to be able to, uh, to see reality. Okay. Yeah. And that is reality. So we need to prepare because if we're not preparing for this, the time will come when, when this happens and we will not have a solution for this, for this problem. So, uh, we're anticipating that we're going to be needing somewhere between 150 to 300 pastors per year uh, in the next in the next 10 to 13 years uh, in the North American division. Okay, mm. and let me let me give you a little bit of what's going on right now. Uh, we have um, around 100 theology majors that graduate in our schools. You know, it goes between 90, 80 something, and 100 that graduate in our schools every year. We don't have a whole lot of theology majors in, in our schools. And we have about 85 North American division, North American division based Master of Divinity uh, graduates uh, on a regular basis, about 85 to, to 90. Uh, there is more people who graduate, but a lot of, uh, of the people who graduate in the seminary are not North American division based. They come from other divisions and they go back to other divisions. So, and you gotta take into account that not everyone who graduates is is able to do ministry, okay? Mm. Uh, because at times you have uh, you have pastors who uh, you have students who go for ministry, uh, but um, you know they realize that ministry is not their thing. Uh, is that am I am I am I making myself clear here? I'm I'm hoping mm -hmm. I'm not being too harsh, okay? And so not everyone who graduates uh, is able to to pastor, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, I've seen I've seen mistakes done in which uh, in cases in which people have not gotten calls and they've turned out to be awesome pastors in the future, but at times you you don't see that right away. You cannot see it right away, and some of the guys and some of the ladies don't get calls right away, okay? So uh, another situation that we have right now is that uh, even though we have embraced ministry for women in North America, uh, not all of our churches in North America have embraced that yet. 
So uh, some conferences, even though they are pro-women in ministry, they have a hard time placing a lady in ministry because uh, churches are, some churches are not accepting yet. Okay, so we usually have to go with bigger churches where you have a few associates. Uh, you get me? So, mm -hmm. so those are some of the of the reasons why uh, we need uh, more people to graduate in order to be able to have uh, more more people to pick up in ministry. I have conferences mm -hmm. this year that they had ten retirements in one shot. Okay, so we're beginning to see a wave of retirements wow. in North America. If you live in North America. You have a North American background because we need people who, who are able to minister in North America. Am I making myself clear? Uh, we, we're wanting younger generations who are able to minister here. And, and you are passionate for the Lord. And you have the calling of God. And, and, you're, and you're engaging yourself in ministry. That's another parenthesis I want I to make here. Uh, if you're a student going to the university right now, you're, you're doing theology at one of our colleges, uh, or you're in the seminary uh, doing the Master of Divinity, make sure that you get engaged in a local church. Don't just sit in seminary, go to classes, and then go home. Get engaged in a local church. Begin to work under the mentorship of a pastor. Uh, allow yourself to get in the water and begin to swim because those are the things that conference presidents look for when they come to interview people. And the first thing they ask, before they get to the interview with you, they, they already asked, the, the professors, they already asked uh, the, 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 the department, the director, they already said, who are the people who are engaged in ministry? Who are the people who are doing a great job here? So it, don't think that just because you go to school for four years and you graduate, you're going to get a job. Uh, you need to make sure that you get engaged, that you're in ministry. So, so you have that already behind you. So when you get your first call, you know what to do and you don't have to go learn how to swim at that moment. Mm -hmm. awesome. Let me let me awesome. just follow up um, on, on that question there. So, you know, you identify, you know, some of the things that, you know, pastors need to understand before we get in. Um, you also mentioned that, you know, the, the 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 conferences are looking for pastors that have engaged in the work of the local church. But you also mentioned that in the North American division, we have like 100, I think you said 100 people graduating um, as theology students among all the schools. And from what I heard that the number of those theology majors that are graduating or the number of theology majors that are graduating is just very low. Like what I'm hearing, uh, Pastor Coteras, and by the way, if you're coming into this uh, program, we are talking about the next generation pastors. What are we looking for? What's happening um, in, in our field? And, and what are some of the skill sets that we need? Uh, so my question to you, Pastor Cortez, is are there some are there some other reasons why people are not going into uh, theology at school is is the pastoral ministry a turnoff now? At, at one time, it's like yes, let's get into it. Everybody wants to be a pastor, but now is it? it has it changed? What you know? What's happening? Yeah, uh, listen. Before I even get there, let me say this uh, because I don't think I finished my my answer in the uh, okay. of, of the previous question, and then I'm going to get into that. Um, the the reason why we uh, we worked on this uh, next gen pastor initiative. Is because we are going. To, we want to pray, and I want to ask our viewers right now to to keep uh, this in mind, because we're praying for 2,500, 2,500 uh, children, youth, 
and young adults who will accept the call to God for, uh, to pass from God to pastoral ministry within the next 10 years. Okay, uh, we're wanting to identify children, youth, and young adults uh, who have accepted God's call and who have those special gifts for for pastoral ministry, and we want to facilitate those decisions. Uh, so that's part of the idea for, for the next pastor initiative. We want to facilitate uh, those decisions. In other words, when, when a little kid comes to you and says, I want to be a pastor, uh, you don't want to do what someone did to me. You know, uh, this was actually my favorite preacher. Okay. After my dad, he was my favorite preacher. I'm not going to mention any names because I know that the Adventist church, even though it is very big, we have great communication, uh, especially especially now that we are uh, in this uh, pandemic, post-pandemic time and, and everything is virtual, you know. Uh, so I, I'm not going to say any names, but this guy worked in the GC. All right. Okay. He worked in the GC, man. And uh, he was one of my favorite preachers. Okay. Uh, and I remember he did evangelistic meetings close to my home in, in, in New Jersey. And I asked my dad, dad, take me because I want to hear him, you know. So I, I went, I heard the sermon. After the sermon, we went backstage and, and you know, I waited because there was a long line of people trying to talk to this famous evangelist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, waited to the end. I shook his hand at the very end and I said, pastor, I don't want to mention his name. I want to be a pastor too, one day like you. And he looked at me, bro, I was 15. He yes. looked at me and he said, you are too short to be a pastor. And, and I waited, Roger, I waited for the punchline. I said, this guy is doing it. You know, that's a joke. He's just trying to, uh, and then he's going to say something nice now. You know, and he just let go of my hand and he walked away. And I looked at my dad and my dad looked at me and I went like this, like what in the world is, did this guy just do to me? You know, so we want people who create that beautiful atmosphere facilitate the call okay for for those who who want to be pastors you know what's the funny thing about that story that he ended up being my church member ah, <laughs> when, when i was the pastor in silver spring maryland can you believe oh, that you know so you give me too much god, details too many details <laughs> god has a sense of humor all right so uh, and then you know we want to create that atmosphere uh, for ministers and we realize that the atmosphere is no good right now. And, and, and Dion, this goes to, to your question right now. Uh, you see, one of the things that we did as part of this uh, Next Gen Pastor Initiative, we uh, authorized two studies. One of the studies is with pastors who have left ministry. So we want to know the reasons why pastors are leaving ministry. Because, you know, okay. if you want to fill up the bucket with pastors, you want, to, you want to fill up the stack, you know, you want more pastors, you need to make sure that, that our pastors are not leaving. And we have pastors, young, up and coming, super talented, who are leaving. Okay? So we're in the midst of that study right now. The early, early uh, results demonstrate as, that some of the reasons why pastors leave, for example, um, they they have a hard time with moving too quick. Mm, like, yeah. you know, you go and put a pastor in a church, and then after four years, you try to move the pastor, and, and his wife has a job, okay? And the wife doesn't, she doesn't want to change her job because her job is good. And in the past, you know, uh, ladies, they just did what their husbands needed them to do. But that has changed. 
okay? Uh, for example, right now, my wife is a pastor here as well. So I need to consider, if I ever want to move, you know, I need to consider my, my wife as well. Uh, do, do, does, does, does that make sense? So mm -hmm. uh, that's one, one, one of the things. Um, uh, some of the things, mistreatment that, that takes place in the, in the, in the local church, um, sometimes younger pastors, they don't feel that they have their back, that their administration has their back. Okay. Um, uh, there have been uh, things said such as, you know, when you promote, um, you end up promoting people who are not uh, qualified. Uh, so these younger pastors are seeing themselves, you know, and uh, having to uh, obey or, or follow some people who don't seem to have it together. You know, so those are some of the types of things that, that pastors are saying, reasons why they leave ministry. Uh, you know, some others say stress. So so we're dealing with the pastors, and that, that study is not finished yet. But we did one with younger generations. We did one with teenagers. Okay? And... Um, and it was very interesting. Uh, let me let me share a little uh, a few things here with you. Uh, uh, you know, the majority of teenagers they have a negative impression of ministry. Mm. Okay, a negative impression of ministry. Uh, some of them have a good impression of ministry, and there are some who are neutral in the in the story that that we did. But something that is uh, is clear is that a lot of the teenagers don't know what pastors do. Okay, uh, for example, there was one kid who said, my dad uh, takes me to school, then he comes back home, then he picks me up from school, and he, he works in his computer. Okay, that was what he said when, uh, you know, what, uh, about, about the work of a pastor, you know. Some others say that pastors preach, pastors teach, pastors uh, pray. Uh, pastors help the community. So some people, some people said that, but a, a lot of our teenagers don't have an idea of what pastors do. Okay. And when we asked the question, so where, where do you get your information, your negative feedback from about pastoring from? In many cases, it does not come from pastors. So they are not getting the bad vibe about ministry from us. They are getting it at home. They are getting it from church members and the way they talk. So, uh, those are some of the things that that we need to make sure that we work on, creating that atmosphere like that, that ministry is not bad talked or given a bad rap, a bad reputation uh, around lunch tables, uh, and uh, you know when we when we talk in front of kids, because that could be one of the reasons why kids don't are not looking at ministry as something that is favorable. Okay. Right. Right. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I'm noticing in the um, in the comments. I want to welcome Bishop Donald Oliver. He's one of our our live streamers. We we appreciate um, his presence. Um, anything that we do here, at Pastors Roundtable, he is a 100% true supporter. He is sharing uh, some things as a pastor himself. Um, what about pairing younger ministers with um, older ministers? But some of those assignments come from a different level than where you are, um, Pastor Cortez. What, what are some of the things at your level that can be done to engage younger people to to think about ministry okay uh, we we talked about some of these things okay and there are things that the different levels of a church 
of the church can do. For example, at our level, uh, North American division level, there are a few things uh, that we can do. Number one, we need to create awareness. And uh, that's part of, uh, of, the, of the reasons for the Nexium Pastor Initiative is to, to create uh, awareness. And uh, number two, we're working on these studies to see the reasons why pastors are leaving and the reasons why younger generations are not um, are not uh, considering ministry. We're working on some of those things. Uh, we're working with our counterparts in our unions and conferences. And anywhere that we go, we're trying to sound the alarm that we're going to be needing more pastors in North America. So that's that's part of what we're, we are doing, we're doing with that. Another thing that we did uh, for years, uh, we had a situation, and I want to be very honest, very clear, very candid here. We had a situation that um, pastors, uh, let's say that you graduated as a theology student from college, uh, conference wouldn't pick you up uh, right after college. They would let you go to seminary, uh, incur in more debt, and of course this was not intentional, but the conference was trying to wash their finances. Uh, so you would go to seminary, incur in more debt, and then you will come back from seminary with your college debt, your seminary debt, and take a church. And the conference will call you right after seminary. And of course, conferences did receive uh, some type of financial help to hire pastors for the first time. Uh, that financial help was meant to, to be used to sponsor pastors to the seminary, uh, students to the seminary. But most conferences would take that help and, and use the help to pay the pastor during the first year but not to help the pastor through the seminary. So something that we did in the ministerial association, we create, helped to create policy that would give that, those funds that were meant to be used during, for sponsorship. Uh, if a conference didn't sponsor you and they picked you up right after you finished seminary, uh, the, the new policy now says that they must give the, the, the seminarian coming back who was not a sponsor, they must give that, those funds to the seminarian so they're able to pay some of their debts and, and are able mm. to, to do some of these things. So that's a way of making it easier for the next gen pastor to wow. be able to go into, into the district without having to pay that, uh, pay, have even more debts. Am I making myself clear? Something mm. else that we have Good. been doing. We have the seven core qualities, seven core qualities. And you can look those up in our nadministerial.org. Uh, I'm sorry, nadministerial.com. You can look at the seven core qualities. We talk to pastors. We talk to elders. We talk to conference presidents. We talk to ministerial directors. And we did a study on the things that are very important for a pastor to succeed. Okay. And so we got the seven core qualities, seven competencies that pastors must have in order, to, in order to be good pastors. And we have been working with all of our universities, with our seminary, to make sure that the training that is given there, that it is a training that, 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 that goes with what a pastor needs to do. Because for years, uh, some of our pastors felt that they were learning a lot of uh, theology but they were not learning practical theology. And I want to say this, theology that is not practical is useless. Are you getting mm. me? Mm. You know, so you need to be able to apply, you need to be able to apply what you learn in the, in the local setting. So that's some of the things that, that we're doing. And now we're also working with the youth department, uh, with the education department of our church. We want to make sure that youth ministries and, and, the, and the, our education, our schools, that they know that it is time it is time to work 
to to call younger generations to ministry. And I want to say this. I want to say this. Uh, I want to I want to uh, give you uh, here a few a few ideas of of things that 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 can can be done. For example, uh, we want to make sure we want to make sure that we begin to talk about ministry uh, from the time the kids are little. Hmm. Uh, you don't want to wait to high school or to college to start talking to young people about the needs for ministry. Uh, so in our conversations, I remember uh, the principal for uh, Tacoma Academy. Uh, she said to us in that in that conversation, her name is Carla. She said, Pastor, you need to talk to, to begin to talk to kids uh, at the early ages. You know when they are in in uh, elementary school when they are in second and third grade uh, those are the times when they the pastor shows up to have a devotional at school and the kids run to their pastor and they feel that their pastor is a hero those are the times when we need to start talking to kids about ministry you know those times when kids are saying i want to be a policeman or a policewoman i want to be a doctor i want to be an engineer i want to be a carpenter you know mm. those are the times when we need to start talking to them and begin to mention ministry mention ministry at that time. Um, something else that we can do, and that is something that I do, and that is something I would like to appeal to my, my colleagues to do on a regular basis. Anytime that I go anywhere to preach, I always make an appeal. And the appeal contains is twofold. People who would like to be baptized, you know, you always want to make sure that you help bring people into the kingdom. And number two, do we have any young person here today who, who would love to be a pastor at some point, or who, who is giving thought to the possibility of being a pastor. So, you know, most of us who are in ministry today is because someone called us in the past, okay? So I, I think that's, that's, that's very, very important. So if you're at the union level, if you're at the conference level, if you're a local church pastor, we want to make sure that you're talking about it, that you're mentioning the need, that you're making those appeals, that you show up at Camp Ruiz. Hey, Roger, you know, I'm, I, I have been a youth guy most of my life, or now in ministerial. Why in the world did I need to go to Oshkosh? Why? <laughs> you know why? Because we need younger generations. Right. Okay? Right. So we want to love on them. We want to use their currency. What is their currency? What is the currency of Pathfinders at a Camp Ruiz? Pins, you know, they want pins at the campery. They want pins, so we had pins. We had the best looking pins in the entire campery, you know. And and no need to apologize to anybody. They were the best pins, all right. And and we had thousands of kids. Okay, I think we had around eleven thousand kids that went through our booth looking for our pins. And every time that we gave someone a pin, we talked about the possibilities of considering the call. To ministry so we need to use our currency we need to be present with them we need to uh, to work in our schools we also need to work with our young people who don't go don't go to Adventist school through our pathfinders and adventurers okay and our local churches but the most important thing is a local church pastor the local church pastor the pastor's well has the biggest influence biggest influence on a kid who wants to who, who will want to be a minister at some point Right, that was a long answer. <laughs> but it was a it was a comprehensive answer. It was a great answer. And Raj, I was gonna say I, I like the part where Pastor Cortez said he makes an appeal. There's really two appeals. Accept Jesus 
and anybody who wants to join this thing, come on. (laughs) And and I think that's where it's at. You know, if if the world can make appeals to our children to be a part of their organization, why can't we as pastors acknowledge those who feel the call of God? I love it. I love it. I love it. And you know something else, something else for pastors? Uh, Have the kids shadow you for a day, you know? And take time and, and hang out with your kids, you know, and so so that way they know what a pastor pastor do. And that day that they're going to shadow you, make it fun, you know. Don't make that day the boring pastoral day, but make that day the, the fun uh, day. And and the last thing I want to say that that you Roger can do, Dion you can do, and each one of the people watching us to, uh, today can do, mentor, mentor one young person, mentor one young person. There is nothing. Nothing that goes beyond the power of mentoring one young person. I'm mentoring. I'm mentoring several young people. I'm doing it, including one of my kids who said that he wants to be a pastor. That's my youngest boy. He says that he wants to be a pastor. And so I encourage him. I have never told him that he's too short to be a pastor. I have never, (laughs) you know, I I, I always tell him that he's going to make a better pastor than Papa and a better pastor than grandpa, because my dad is also a great pastor. So I said, you're gonna make better. I'm not sure that he can be better than mom because mom is awesome. She's as good as they get, you know, but at least better than papa and better than grandpa. So I keep telling him. So we need to do that more often with our young people. Be positive. In, in this shadowing, maybe we should take him to a board meeting, huh? <laughs> so they, hey, hey, the board would be a lot there are some board meetings. There are some board meetings that can be fun. And if you ever take them to a board meeting, let them let them talk to the board and say, you know, these are the things that we wish you could do for right. kids. You know, uh, don't don't keep them there for the fight, but 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 at least you know, let them talk to the board for a little bit and and, and tell them what is it that would be good for the kids. So so I I've noticed over the uh, in these last couple of years we talk we're talking about the next gen pastor and yeah. I think maybe we have jumped to the to the real young young ones, but uh, there are some younger pastors than I am. Um, you know that seems to have a different flavor of how they minister, um, a different flavor on how they fit into the, the organization that we have, we call the, the church, the conference per se, the, the business side of the church. Um, what are some of the things you have been noticing um, that kind of allow you to raise your, your eyebrow or scratch your head to say, hmm, is this what we are dealing with? Or is that just something we as older pastors need to, to kind of get a, a get a grip on and, and, and just be ready to, to maybe even, sh- you know, transition to that kind of thinking? Um, are there some things out there that you're seeing that our younger pastors are doing that we may be, that may be the direction we need to go? Um. I, I, I think that we need all of the above in order to reach all, okay? Uh, because uh, most of us, Roger and Dion, for years, we've looked the same. We've talked the same. Uh, you know, uh, you, can, you can tell where, even where a pastor graduated by the way they talk, you know? When you got someone that talks to you with a deep voice and slowly and very, you know, you can tell where that person came from, all right? Uh, should I mention any universities or anything? Or you guys got it, all right? We got you, we got uh, so, you. Okay, so, so, what, so I, think, I think we need to stop 
trying to have uh, you know cookie cut uh, pastors okay uh, so i see some pastors that, that, that like to dress down okay mm-hmm. and they preach and uh, dress down and all of that you know i think that's needed okay uh, i i think there is a place for a suit and tie but i also think there is a place for sneakers and jeans and a t-shirt okay uh, depending of the people that you're trying to reach depending of where you are I, I think there is a place for that. Uh, I, I see uh, in the way of preaching, you know, uh, and I believe that, that what really matters is not, uh, it's, it's connecting, okay? So whatever you need to do to connect, uh, you, you connect. Uh, I see uh, pastors who are, like in the time when I grew up, uh, we were taught not to be vulnerable, okay? The pastor is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pastor does not admit mistakes too much. Because people look up to the pastor, and the moment that 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 mold uh, breaks, you know, people all of a sudden stop looking up to the pastor. That's what I was mm-hmm. taught years ago. I realized that being vulnerable is a good thing, okay? Because people are able to relate to you. Uh, on the other side, on the other side, I want to say this: I see some of the colleagues who are way too vulnerable, okay? So uh, you don't have to be sharing every single thing that happens to you because at times, you know. It may, it may hurt it may hurt your, your your minister so be vulnerable but be careful with the things that you share uh, and be careful with the things that 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 you, that you that you put in places and be careful be careful what you put in and uh, also uh, let me let me say something here Roger and you know I'm I, I have always been um, uh, I consider myself one of the up-and-coming guys uh, one of the open-minded guys uh, one of the guys who is accepting of, of different of diversity uh, within our church and within ministry, um, but let, let me let me say this: I've been to seminary on ministry opportunity days, ministry opportunity days. Uh, that's the day when presidents and ministerial directors are there looking for pastors. Okay, and and I see guys. With the with the hoodies and, and the pants down, and yeah, you know, and I don't know, Roger, if if that is conducive to getting a job when the conference presidents are there. Mm. You get me? Am I? Did mm-hmm. I say something wrong? You guys are looking at me seriously like this. No, no. <laughs> right. Hey, we, we, you you making a good point? So we don't want to we don't want to trivialize it with <laughs> laughter. S- yeah, speak speak yeah. the truth. Cool. Yeah. Dress, dress for success, guys. When, when, when those conference presidents and those guys are, are there, you know, make sure that, that you represent yourself as good as possible. And you know that most of these guys, uh, they, they do have, they do have a, a, an image that they're looking for. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once you get your church, once you get to the setting, once you get to your community, do you do what you have to do in order to contextualize. But mm-hmm. once you're getting looking for a job, dress for that interview, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, appear, appear pastoral, okay? Uh, and, and, and what I'm saying, appear pastoral, I'm not trying to tell you you need to be a cookie cut, but you know what, those, that, what the guys are looking for when they show up for an interview. Once you go to your context and you get to meet your community, you begin to do what you need to do in order to reach your community, okay? But you already got that job as a minister. Am I making myself clear? So mm-hmm. you're able to do what you need to do once you're there. But, but before you get your job, make sure that you do your best to impress well those who are going to look for someone because they want to look for someone who, 
who is uh, who is presentable and whom whom they can uh, enjoy hiring. So so do that for me, please. Uh, I, I've seen it. Uh, we've talked about it among ministerial directors, and at times, you know, this guy has a great talent. Uh, and look, you know, and, and we realize that dress is not everything. Yeah, I, I just I don't want I don't want to trivialize. I don't want to be patronizing. But I'm trying to be real here with well, for those seminarians that are looking for a job. Uh, dress for success uh, during those times. And once you get to your district, you're able to contextualize and you're able to do uh, what you want to do. But but I want to say it very clearly. I want to say very clearly, regardless of your preaching style, mm -hmm. you don't have to be the guy that stands behind the pulpit. You don't have to be the guy that reads from the manuscript. You don't need to preach expository every time like we were taught that we needed to do. Uh, what you need to do, you need to communicate the gospel. And you need to make those appeals. And you need to make sure that your church is growing. And you need to make sure that you're keeping those who are coming in. So do whatever you do in order to make sure that that happens. So I don't care. I don't care what, what you do as long as you're doing the things in order to pastor your church. And one thing, for years we were taught that we needed to pastor our churches. I think that today, if you're going to be a pastor, a next level pastor, a pastor of impact in North America, you need to be a pastor who considers himself or herself, not only the pastor of your church, but the pastor of your city, the pastor of your community. So you're not only the pastor of the four walls and those who are inside the four walls, you're the pastor of your community, you're the pastor of your neighborhood, you're the pastor of your city. And, and I think that those things can take you, take you long ways. So agility, flexibility, uh, it's okay to be different. But be careful. Be careful as you try to be different uh, to make sure that you don't hurt uh, your ministry in the process. Wow. Gotcha. I mean, that's a lot said. You're right. I mean, we have to dress for success, right? And in any job interview, you want to make sure that you uh, just present well with your image, of course, because that makes a tremendous difference. Um, I like what you said. Very good. Now, just, just another question here. You know, again, as we talk about these next generation pastors, uh, we put it in the context of the pandemic. So for you, during the pandemic, have your perspective on leadership kind of evolved um, in some ways? Um, you know, as because you, you're a leader, you're, you know, ministerial in the ministerial department. And but again, the pandemic was so new. And, and of course, you're talking about flexibility. And, and I know that that's very important for pastors, next generation pastors, pastors now to be very flexible. Um, but your view on leadership, has it evolved based on the pandemic? Has the pandemic impacted your view on leadership? Um, yeah, uh, it has. And I probably need to go back to what I said before. Um, leadership that is, um, that doesn't, that is not flexible, leadership that is not agile, uh, cannot last. And I am fearful. Uh, well, it can last, but it, it, if it lasts, it is not relevant. Right. Uh, is, that, is, that, is that okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so I have acquired uh, over the years, not only now through the pandemic, but over the years, I have acquired uh, a lot of respect, a lot of respect uh, for leaders who are able to surround themselves uh, with people who are really good at what they do. Okay. Uh, I've seen different types of leaders. Uh, I, I've been in this work now for 30 years, guys. 
Uh, next year is going to be 30 years. I began 1992. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, next year is going to be 30 years. So I've been around for 29 years. And and I've seen two types of, of leaders uh, in the church. I've seen the leaders who are there to to maintain themselves there. And, and they do that at any cost. And usually this type of leader will surround himself uh, with, and I say himself because we haven't had a lot of female examples in our church, uh, but will surround himself with people who are not as good, people who are not as bright, mm. people who cannot overshadow them. Uh, and by doing that, uh, ministry all around them becomes uh, difficult and it becomes uh, uh, halfway and, and ministry at times may be irrelevant. And, and God uses anybody, uh, but, but God could use uh, people a little bit more if they were willing to surround themselves with, with people who are really good. And I have seen other leaders who are more concerned for the growth of the kingdom than they are for themselves. Mm. And, uh, and those are the leaders that, that end up making an impact. And they may not be the leaders that get the positions all the time, but the other ones that make the impact. Am I making myself clear? Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, so a lot of respect for leaders who are able to surround themselves with the best uh, and are able to uh, to give an opportunity to people to voice their opinions because there is wisdom. The Bible says that. It says it in the Bible. There is wisdom in the counsel of many. So uh, these are some of the things some of the things that I have uh, that I have acquired a, a different level of respect during during the during the pandemic, uh, because during the pandemic we have needed uh, of the unconventional, uh, unorthodox uh, pastors and leaders to help us through, and those who have been willing to to surround themselves with those type of guys, they have been able to they have been able to thrive and they have been able to succeed uh, during this time. So, so yeah. Agility, flexibility, ability to surround yourself with the best. When you surround yourself with the best, uh, and if I have any leaders who are watching right now or listening to us, let me let me say one thing. When you surround yourself with the best, uh, you look great. You end up looking great. Uh, and, and the people that you surrounded yourself with, they are not there to take your job. They are there to help you. They are there. Nobody, you know, when you're giving people opportunities, people don't want to take the job of that the person that gave him an opportunity. They want to help that person to succeed, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so that's 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 it blesses everybody, you know. It blesses those that that you're surrounding yourself with, and it blesses you the most when you have great people around you. So, uh, a lot of respect and a lot of love and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of kudos to those the, those leaders that that are able to do that. Uh, prior to the pandemic, through the pandemic, and post-pandemic. I, I, a lot of respect for those type of leaders. All right. Wow. We, we see, Listen, see you... Some comments we, coming we in the keep, chat. Go ahead, Roger. We keep... Yeah, good comments there. We... um, You talked a little bit about the Next Gen initiative. You kind of shared some of the things that you're doing. I think the awareness was part of that, things like that. Um, could you give us a little more structure as to, uh, I'm a member sitting in the pew, and this, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. What exactly is the Next Gen initiative that's being uh, taunted by the North American Division? The Next Gen initiative is praying for 2,500 uh, new pastors in the next uh, 10, 10 years. It's helping to identify uh, young people who who appear to have the gift for ministry or who have been called by God. So if you're a church member sitting on the pew, if you're a parent, uh, these are the times to start scouting and looking for those young people. 
Okay, you, you can do a lot. Parents, uh, parents, uh, church leaders, and local church pastors, you have the most influence on those kids. Uh, school teachers have a lot of influence on those kids. Pathfinder leaders, uh, adventure leaders have a lot of influence on those kids. So uh, scout uh, for those uh, those kids that seem to have gift. Uh, look at the young people who seem to have the the, the call, and 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 begin to facilitate uh, for them. Uh, how do you facilitate by creating that atmosphere? By loving your pastor, loving your pastor right now. So that way they see that pastors are people who lead and who are well treated, not people who are mistreated all the time. Uh, you facilitate that by loving those kids in their in, in, in what they are doing, by encouraging them. You facilitate by helping them monetarily once it's time to go to college. Uh, we have lots of people, young people out there with tremendous gifts uh, and, and, the, and the need to to for funds to be able to go to college. And, and Roger, these are conversations that we're having division-wide uh, right now. A lot of our funding goes to the seminary for, for people who have already made that decision and who are already uh, preparing themselves to be the pastor. At times we wonder, and, and it has been expressed to us by ministerial directors and pastors, if we need to put up more funding at the beginning of the journey rather than at the end of the journey to facilitate uh, people coming in. Um, so. Uh, what can you do? Help to create that atmosphere. Don't talk bad about ministry. Uh, highlight ministry. Say good things about ministry. Encourage young people to go to ministry. When you see a young lady that can talk really good and, and, and she gets up there and she, she recites a poem or, or she preaches a sermon on Kids Day that, that everyone is electrified by, go up to that young lady and say, my goodness, you could be such an awesome, you could be such an awesome pastor. We're going to be praying for you that God will continue to use you. And maybe one day you can be our pastor right here in this church. Those are the type of things. Those are the type of things that make a difference in kids' lives at this stage. Is that clear? So I, I think that's very important. And let me, let me say one thing here. Because in our, in our team here in the ministerial association, we discuss this. We know that the atmosphere has been difficult with the conversations that, that around women in ministry during the last few years. Mm -hmm. And for example, here in my home, my wife and I had to make a point and say, uh, that is reality. And that, that reality needs to be discussed. And you know, in, in, in our leadership in the North American division, we have done everything possible to make sure that we support women in ministry as much as we can. Okay, in this church. And it has been felt, it has been known, it has been heard. It is clear that the leadership of the North American Division supports women in ministry. Okay, but with my wife, for example, we had to say, we need to save some conversations from where the kids are not around. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, my kids, they saw my wife and I crying after the vote in San Antonio. Okay. And they asked, why are you guys crying? And we told them. You know, because we feel that there is something that is happening that is not right. And we need to pray for our church. We, we, we told them, okay? But we have decided that we're going to save some of the conversations that make ministry and that, 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 or, or make things surrounding ministry look strange at this point that we're going to save some of those conversations for later. Is that, is that, am I making sense here? Mm -hmm. Because we want to make sure that the atmosphere for ministry is right in our home. Mm -hmm. So my dear father, my dear mother, uh, dear past, uh, uh, dear church leader who is watching right now, 
some of those conversations about your pastor's sermon that take place that during lunch time, uh, perhaps those could be saved for another time when the kids are not present. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and perhaps, you know, they need to be saved just to talk with your pastor rather than to talk about your pastor when the pastor is not present. Am I making myself clear? Yes. So that's part of making making the atmosphere right for young people mm. who want to go into ministry. Wow. Mm. Excellent. Wow. That, that's a lot said. Um, you know, you touched on a lot of things um, as far as the ministry is concerned. And just having a positive um, aspect or a positive perspective on the ministry so that people can join in. Um, what, what can like conferences do to make uh, the environment better for pastors and more attractive? Or, you know, we talked about what, you know, what members can do and what, you know, as, as, as I would say pastors can do. But what can the conference do? Is there something the conferences can do? Um, by all means, uh, yeah. By all means, uh, create number one, create awareness. Okay, so uh, I see ministerial directors uh, and conference presidents. They need to be a, a campuris in the in you know. Uh, I know ministerial director is not a youth guy, okay, but but ministerial directors, you need to be a campuris uh, with your with your uh, pathfinders. You need to be at your schools. Uh, you know, we did at Oshkosh, uh, Oshkosh, we did an ice cream party. What if, uh, if yes, all of our conference city. presidents and ministerial directors, they could do at every campery and every youth event, uh, one is, once in a while they could show up with ice cream, okay, and say, hey, guys, uh, we are here, we have ice cream for you, and we want to let you know that we need more pastors, okay? So uh, can you imagine a conference president talking to kids and saying, I cannot do this alone, I'm getting old, and most of our conference presidents are getting old. And some are already there, some are getting old, some are, are there already. So, and I say this with all due respect, I'm getting old too, okay? But I cannot do this alone. You know, we're getting older here, we need you. So you give them ice cream and talk with them. Okay, so so number one, be present where the kids are and, and let them know what they need. And number two, stay in touch with children who have expressed interest in pastoral ministry. You know, uh, right after Oshkosh, we collected a whole lot of names and right away we wrote... Uh, to each one of these kids that said, I'm interested in being a pastor. And we let the local conferences know that there are uh, some of these kids are interested in, in, in being pastors. So stay in touch with those uh, who, who have expressed an, a, a need to, to, be a, to be a pastor. Number three, conferences can create a very intentional internship program. Okay. You see, uh, I just talked about being engaged. If you're in college, if you're, you know, being engaged. Uh, so uh, we could create, uh, uh, let me let me start by saying this. For example, Rocky Mountain Conference, Campion Academy. Uh, right there, the pastor at the church uh, has a next-gen club, next-gen pastor club. So uh, he's a pastor of the academy, and he created a next-gen pastor club. And every week he meets with uh, uh, academy students who are interested in being pastors. Okay? And uh, he, uh, he does that. Uh, summer camp. You see... Uh, when college students, they go uh, to work for the summer, many of them decide to make less money, but they decide to go to summer camps to be counselors in summer camps. That is telling me that those students who decide to make less money and go to summer camp because they want to be counselors, uh, that tells me 
that they have an interest in ministry and they have an interest in people. So we ought to be looking at our summer camps and saying, who are our best people here? And talking to them and say, hey, has it ever occurred to you that God may be calling you to be a pastor? You do such a great job. So create internship programs. Once the students are in universities, every, every, every summer, bring four or five kids from, from, the, from the local university, you know, uh, uh, go to Oakwood, go to Southern, go to Walla Walla, go to whatever, whatever the university is close to you. Get three or four kids and put them in churches where you have great pastors that can model ministry for them really well. And, and let them get paid for doing that. And, and let them learn, let them bless the church, and, and let them get ready. That is a way of getting engaged. Once you do that, next thing is that the conference president is going to be coming back to you and saying, you did a great job. We want to hire you because you did a great job when you were here with our pastor at our church. So that would be a, something really, really good. And something else, conference leaders need to emphasize this and, and make appeals as they travel, as they meet, and as they preach about, uh, across conference territory. So these are some of the things that the conferences can do uh, to, to make this happen. I just gave you a few practical ideas right, right there. And I, I, I was going to mention real quick, Raj, I was going to mention that, you know, we talked a lot about recruiting, recruiting, but how about retaining? You know, how can we keep those who are already pastors? How can we retain them? Because I think that when pastors leave a lot, then it encourages people to say, wait a minute, I need to take a second look at that position because people are leaving. How can we retain pastors? Well, um, that has a lot to do with conference leadership. And it also has a lot to do with church members. Let me say one thing. Uh, we have a study that we did on health that, that says that our church members in North America, Adventists in North America, they last 10 years longer than the regular population of North America. Okay? Right. So if you're a church member, Adventist in North America, in the United States, in Canada, most likely you're going to live 10 years longer than everybody else, okay, who is not an Adventist, okay? So you, the ads aren't in your favor, okay? But guess what? If you are a pastor, this is really sad. Listen to what I'm about to say. If you're a pastor, you're going to live 10 years less, 10 years less than the population of North America. You know, so that means our members live 10 years more, than the population, we live 10 years less. That means that we live Roger and beyond. We got to take good care of ourselves. We live 20 years less than our members. Wow. Okay. Um, so, well, and this is this is a study, okay, that, that we've done here in the uh, in the ministerial association. We live 10 years less than our members. So, so what can we do? Uh, if you're a member, you need to love your pastor. And you need to support your pastor. And you need to realize that your pastor is a real person that has bones and flesh and a heart. And he's a sinner, okay, and needs your grace once in a while. Uh, you know, hopefully your pastor is loving you. Well, please, you know, let's, let's, let's treat our pastors right, okay? Our pastors became pastors to minister, not to be mistreated. Okay, mm. but now when it comes to the conference office, uh, our conference presidents, and I know we have great conference presidents uh, across our division and our ministerial leaders, um, there is a lot that we can do to bless our pastors. Loving people, letting people know that they are loved, allowing people to feel valued, it goes long ways. Okay, so 
Uh, I think we need to love our pastors in a very special way. Uh, we need to love them in practical ways. And that means if your pastor is doing well, don't be moving your pastor every three or four years. That doesn't help your pastor. That doesn't help the congregation. Imagine a, congre a family that, that gets a different father every four years. Uh, that family grows dysfunctional, okay? Uh, um, try to match the gift of the pastor with the gifts of the church, you know? So, you know, I remember there were times when they put me in a church when a very, very uh, veteran pastor had left and now I was totally different and I was coming in and then I left and then they put a guy that was totally different. So it's kind of like we had to be competing against each other to do. So place your pastors in the right place. Uh, with younger pastors, uh, be conscious that they have spouses, okay? Younger pastors have spouses and spouses also have a life and they also have a profession. So try to make sure that that when you put those pastors in place, that you put them in a place where both of them can thrive, uh, you know, and uh, so that's that's very important. Remember that kids do go to school, PKs go to school. Uh, so, so don't, uh, you know, make sure that if you're gonna move the pastor, don't move him in the middle of a school year, Come okay? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, these are things that, 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 that should be common sense, but at times I, we see them happening, okay? Uh, mental health, uh, make sure that your pastor gets that sabbatical, you know, and that's something that we have been doing from the North American division. Uh, we've been trying to make the sabbatical a policy across the division. So every time that a pastor passes seven years, he's able to take a month or two months off and, and he's able to, to change focus a little bit and do something that, that builds him up or builds her up. Okay, so these are some of the things that, that we can do for, for our pastors. And uh, how about helping that pastor get that degree? Okay, uh, yes, I'm, doing my, I'm doing my doctor in ministry right now. Okay, uh, and I have pastors who, who are in the class with me who have to pay their entire way for the doctoral degree. They don't even get any help at all doing that. And I know that at times, you know, conferences may be a little bit strapped for money, but who is going to benefit from the pastor being up to date and being educated? The conference is going to benefit and the local church is going to benefit. So make sure that you bless your pastor like that. You know, little things like, like every time that there is a birthday, uh, receiving yes. a car, a gift card, for, even if it is just 25 bucks with a, with a little note saying, uh, my, my pastor, I love you. This is from the conference president, okay? My pastor, I love you. Uh, I, I, I want you to know that you're so special to us. Take this $25, you know, and, and go buy something, uh, go out to eat, you know, and, and add it at least for the tip, you know, but, but do something with it. But we just want you to know that we love you. You know, treat the pastors as if they're adults. Don't treat them like little kids. Don't be patronizing. Those types of things help the pastors to stay. Okay, I've had great presidents that have blessed me. I have other presidents that haven't been that great, and they have not blessed me, you know. Uh, to this day, they sit, you know, in the hall of shame uh, of my head. You know, when I look back, it's, it's dark. But there are some other presidents that when I look at them, I say, wow, this guy really helped me to grow. Okay, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, I think loving and treating pastors as the professionals that they are, uh, it's okay to hold them accountable. We want to be held accountable by our leadership, but be fair, okay? I think those things can help pastors, pastors to stay, okay? 
So just a few ideas here. I'm sure I'm sure that the the the, the chat is blowing up with a whole lot of more ideas, but I just just giving you a few off the top of my head right here. You you were spot on. Uh, there were times when you what you said came out your mouth, it came up in the chat. What came up in the chat you said. So obviously uh, you are in I, I talked this morning, when I shared this morning um, at a church, we talked about vibes and uh, the Holy Spirit moves through and the grace of God is there. So uh, you're in vibing, you're vibing spot on as one of my our viewers, Stephanie, just shared. You are spot on. Well, Doc Cortez, we have to say that we have filled up an hour and a half with conversation and meaningful conversation. Thank you so hey, that's much. So hard. That's so hard for the three of us, okay? <laughs> we want to just say thank you so much for coming on and sharing this spotlight on the Next Gen Pastor. And I hope that our members who have listened, who have uh, been a part of this and who will listen, will be able to do something to help move the agenda forward. We are looking for 2,500 pastors, my Lord. Wow. That's a lot of pastors. But you know what that tells me? That tells me there's a lot of people out there who need pastoring. And that is a good thing in this profession. So we praise God for that. 